This episode of Continuing Mission is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome everyone to another episode of Continuing Mission, our look at the ways in which fans are keeping Star Trek alive. I'm your host, Christopher Jones, and the primary focus of this show is on the fan series, or as I prefer to call them, independent productions, that tell new stories set in the Star Trek universe. The original series time period is a popular one for fan series, but that doesn't always mean Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise. There were more ships out there during the time of the five-year mission, and starship Farragut takes its cues from this fact. The series' premise, simply put, is new ship, new crew, new adventures, but all based on the era of classic Trek. Conceived of in November 2004 and officially launched in 2005, Starship Farragut is one of the most veteran of Star Trek fan series. In this episode of Continuing Mission, we're joined by actor and writer Paul Sieber, who has been with Farragut since the early days and is returning to write the screenplay for the next episode, The Crossing, to learn more about the series and plans for the future. Hello, Paul. Welcome to Continuing Mission. Thanks for setting some time aside for me tonight to talk about Starship Farragut. Well, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm glad that we're going to talk about this today because we have not covered Farragut yet here on the show. And like Phase 2, New Voyages, you guys have been around for a decade. You guys have been making Star Trek for quite a long while. Yeah, actually, we filmed a, a, a proof of concept trailer for Farragut back in 2005, um, the very beginning of the year, and um, it really took off from there. Um, I worked with the project for the first two full-length episodes and the two animated episodes, and then I moved on to some other work, um, but they kept going and did uh, multiple more short films and uh, two more full-length episodes after that. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be back. Awesome. So you were there from the beginning. Yes. Excellent. So Farragut is a, it's an interesting project to me because it takes place in the TOS time period, but it's not the Enterprise. So you're not telling stories with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. You know, one thing that I love about book series like Vanguard, for example, that are set in that time period, is that we get a feeling that the universe is so much bigger than what we see on the screen, because often you feel like it's just the Enterprise flying around in the 23rd century. I agree. Yeah. It, well, John Broughton's uh, original concept when he came up with uh, Starship Farragut, which originally was going to be called Starship Excalibur, but another fan film group mm. was using that and he didn't want to step on anyone's toes. Um, he always felt that Kirk Spock and McCoy were William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly. Uh -huh. And he said, look, I'm going to tell Star Trek stories, but they say on the show that there are many other constitution class ships. And then even then they may not have been the only kinds of ships. So there was a lot of other people doing this. So there had to be, more stories to tell and the biggest challenge we had in the beginning was trying to create this crew that wasn't just a different actor playing captain kirk but with a different name we wanted to create different characters and uh that's one of the things i think farragut succeeded at very well yeah i really really like that so before we talk more about Farragut, one thing I always like to do up front on this show is to find out about your love of Star Trek and your background. Now, you've been with Farragut since the beginning, so I have to think that you are an uber Star Trek fan. Do you remember the first time you ever saw Star Trek? 
Um, I remember uh, watching Star Trek from the youngest days of my childhood. I was always a space junkie. At my age, I can say I grew up with the Apollo program. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Star Trek was kind of an offshoot of that. I remember having uh, toys that were Apollo astronauts and toys that were Star Trek. And when I couldn't find the toy, uh, my first Star Trek communicator when I was a kid was a Tic Tac box with a piece of cardboard taped on the front for the mm-hmm. for the flip part. Um, <laughs> cool. So. You know, it was it was, you know, you know, make what you can and do what you can. So I, I can't remember a point in my time where I wasn't a Star Trek fan. Well, do you remember what the first episode was that you saw? Gosh, you know, that's a tough one. I don't remember myself. I, I really I really I couldn't say the first episode I remember having an impact on me was probably the Doomsday Machine. A lot of people say that. Yeah. Yeah, because that was so exciting, you know, at the mm-hmm. time it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was dark and mysterious. And there was this, you know, incredible force out there. It was, it was an impactful episode, even to a kid. Yeah. A lot of people love that episode. For me, it was TOS. I, you know, watched Star Trek in my great grandparents' house on one of those TVs that looks like a giant piece of furniture with yes. a very yes. curved screen and, and lots of, of beautiful wood around it. Uh, the first one I watched in my parents' basement was an old television, an old black and white giant uh-huh. console. That, it had a remote control that didn't have batteries. It, you clicked it. It made a noise that made the channel change and it had a pair of rabbit ears on it. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You know, kind of as a sidetrack here a little bit, I, I found it really interesting that you mentioned growing up with Apollo because I grew up with the shuttle program before it became commonplace where they're just sending shuttles up all the time and no one really cares. You know, I remember the test flight, Columbia and those days. And it was really exciting because you felt like we're really going out into space now. And then things kind of faded away. I feel like people today don't have anything like that at the moment that they can get so excited about. What was it like watching the Apollo stuff go on? You know, I was, I was five years old. Um, when we did the first moon landing and I, and I actually remember the event clear as day. I mean, even being that little, uh, sitting with my father watching Walter Cronkite and he insisted we watched Walter Cronkite, um, mm-hmm. when we watched the, uh, the, the, uh, space missions. But what I remembered was, was everybody was focused on it. You know, it wasn't something that was, you know, uh, some people watched and some people didn't. It, it didn't matter if you were, you know, into the space program or not. It was something the entire world was wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was just, you know, you know, it, to have such a vid- vivid memory as a small child of something like that, of an event like that, it's yeah. just incredible for it to still be so strong in my head. Uh-huh. You know, uh, my father bought a model of a Saturn V rocket. And I remember us putting it together in the kitchen um, and he spilled black paint on the kitchen table. And I remember my mother being mad. This is how vivid this is. Uh And when we watched Walter Cronkite during the flight, we took the model apart and we're taking a look at the different parts. And he was describing to me, now this is the command module and this is the lunar module. It's just, it, it, it was so different than any kind of event that happens now. Even at the height of the spe- of the shuttle program, I don't remember the energy level as much as it was. Yeah, I don't think it Apollo was quite days. the same. Yeah, that mm. also shows you how old I am. So, <laughs> but but that's cool. I mean that that must have been such an exciting time because you could really dream. Like, oh yeah, things were real, and that's what I said oh, about yeah. the shuttle program too. It felt like hey, there's a bit of a law, but we're going again, and we're going to continue. Like momentum will keep us heading out into space and then it kind of hasn't happened. I hope that in the coming decades, we start to send people to Mars because that's something that I think may recapture everyone the way that Apollo did. I I think we need it. Mm -hmm. Um, Something like that. I was just down to Cape Canaveral um, during a holiday vacation last year. And, you know, everything down there is at a standstill. It's almost like a ghost town. But the reason is... It's all being revamped for this Orion program. And so this is, it's exactly where it was after Apollo and before the shuttle, where all this stuff is being redesigned and revamped, mm-hmm. but it looks like nothing's happening anymore. It's almost like a ghost town. It's, it's dead, but it isn't because all these things are happening 
quietly somewhere else. They're getting ready to rebuild launch pad B, um, which will be for the new heavy lift rocket that's going to take Orion up. Um, launch pad A has been leased to SpaceX Corporation, and they're going to be using that for man and um, cargo launches of the uh, Dragon capsule. Mm -hmm. um, so the historic platform we went to the moon from is now going to be leased to a private company who's literally going to become the taxi to orbit. So it's kind of exciting in a new way. That's exciting, yeah, because I love seeing the private companies involved. So, well, this leads us to get back onto topic here. This type of space exploration in these ships will eventually lead us, according to Gene Roddenberry, to a ship called the Farragut, and it'll yes. be out there in space. So now that we talked a little bit up front about what Farragut is about and the reason why it's following another ship. So what you have going on right now is a funding campaign for a new episode called The Crossing, Yes. Which, as I read about it, sounds like this is going to be the most ambitious thing you guys have ever put together. Well, it's it's definitely taking Farragut up a up up a huge notch in um in the complexity of an episode uh, in several ways. One of it, it's 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 pretty much a double length story. Um, we're looking at uh, the screenplay final draft came in at about eighty six pages, so we're probably looking at about close to a ninety minute film. Considering the average Farragut episode runs about 45 minutes, um, which is very typical with television, this is almost a Farragut movie more than it is um, just an episode. Yeah, I was um, wondering if you guys are referring to it as an episode or as a film. We're kind of starting to refer to it more and more as a film because of the, uh, because of the level of depth in it. It's also a, a lot more of a complex story uh, in really in three different ways. One way is... Um, Farragut has a lot of secondary characters over the last few episodes that they've brought on, and they're really part of a family. They're very much a family group, uh, the folks at Farragut Films. And one of the things I really wanted to do in the screenplay was to kind of make it an ensemble piece. I wanted to give everybody a moment, uh, and, and not just a line. I don't want it like, oh, the doctor's there, and they say this line, and anyone could say right, the line. Right. But I wanted every character to have that character moment in the story. So that obviously adds a bit more, particularly when you're trying to make it so it's not just wedged in. I really wanted to make it part of the story. So that was a challenge, but the end result is it's very rich with people. It's rich with characters. There's a lot of guest stars in this. And then it's kind of a double sequel. Um, it kind of follows up on uh, the Mirror Mirror episode of the original series. And it's also a follow-up to Starship Farragut's second episode for One of a Nail. So it kind of plays off of both of those stories a little bit and creates a, a let's say we're kind of using Star Trek existing mythos and we're using the mythos that we created with Farragut as well. So it's kind of like a double whammy. So once again, it adds a lot more to the story. So it's going to be big. It's going to be very big. Tell me about the decision to go to the Mirror Universe. Well, I always had some interest in in the mirror universe when john and i originally talked about this story concept in 2007 and i never looked at the mirror universe as everyone well, here's the guy in our universe and here's the opposite and he's just the evil version when i watch mirror mirror one of the things i always noted was that spock was spock and both he really wasn't that much different there was maybe a little tweak to his character, but he wasn't an evil version of a good person. So I came to start to think that the mirror universe isn't necessarily an exact opposite of us. It's almost like you take the characters and change one little thing about them. And that may give you a dramatically different person. Um, you know, Kirk isn't necessarily evil, especially if you watch Continue's new episodes, Ferris of them all. Um, mm -hmm. Kirk isn't necessarily evil. He's megalomaniac. Right. So he's still Kirk, though. He still has all of the frailties and strengths that Kirk does. But the difference is his ego is so big. So that's like one personality change gives you a whole different person. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit. But what I didn't want to do is just go like, well, here's the Farragut crew. Here's their opposites. That's it's, it's too easy. Right. So we're going to see the mirror universe. 
but we're not going to see it the way you expect us to. It's not going to be, well, here's the Farragut, here's the mirror Farragut, end of story. There's a lot more to this. As a matter of fact, the main protagonist ship in this episode is the USS Potemkin, not the Farragut. Okay. Yeah, I was curious because the Mirror Universe seems very popular these days. There are so many projects that are taking place in the Mirror Universe, and I find it interesting. I like to see everyone's different takes, and you mentioned Fairest of Them All. I think Star Trek Continues did a brilliant job with their episode. They did. They really uh, did. And and, and what's interesting is, um, unintentionally, I had not known anything about their um, screenplay or anything like that. They were pretty secretive Um, about it. They really were, yeah. but um, the Farragut episode kind of follows up a little bit on some of the things that happen in Ferris to the Mall. So it's almost yeah. like Ferris sets us up a little bit for what's going to happen in The Crossing. Just coincidentally. And yeah, really it was. Mm-hmm. It really was. It's a great coincidence. I'm not going <laughs> to fight with that. I mean, the other benefit being that because we share sets with Continues, a lot of uh, pieces of set dressing that we need that are mirror universe doors and symbols and so forth have been created yeah the sets are amazing now that that they have put together over there how much collaboration is there between you guys and continues in terms of building out sets oh that's uh, it's i mean there's there's very little changeover uh between continues and farragut in the use of the sets um my understanding now i'm not down on the sets all the time matter of fact this will be the first time i've been down there filming but the main thing is, um, I think that the major change between the two shows is the plaque on the bridge. Um, other than okay. that, um, they're supposed to be both Connie's, and um, that, that means they're the same design. So we pretty much, you know, we may change some. I think they changed some dressing, like in the captain's quarters, to make it Carter's, things like that. But overall, there's very little done to change between the Enterprise and the Farragut. Cool. So... One special thing about this project, The Crossing, that you guys talk about that is going to make it, what would I say, more challenging project to produce than in the past is the special effects work that you guys are working with Neo Effects. Yes. Uh, with CGI ship interiors, other special effects. What can you tell us about that? Well, we're we're trying to show some things um one thing about the story in the crossing is we're going to see some um, uh, parts of the ship we've never seen before. We're also going to see some parts of the ship that we may have seen on the original series, but sets that no one's built before. So that's a, a physical challenge. Some of them will be live build outs. Others will be, you know, green screen enhanced, um, which will be a challenge for Neo FX. And then we're going to have some, action sequences inside and outside of the ship, which are going to test the CGI guys to their limit. Um, Yeah, we're, we're, uh, it's not just your typical um, space combat, two ships shooting at each other kind of a thing. And uh, the main part of the story, the crossing itself, um, which I can't give away too much. Sure. It's going to be a, a huge special effects challenge for them. So, we're gonna we're gonna push them to their limits too. I mean, this is gonna be this is gonna be a challenge for the effects guys too. There's a lot of effects shot in this uh, film because there's a lot of action in this story. So, I think that's that uh, the audience is gonna go crazy. I really think they're gonna like it. I'm curious because we talked about you guys sharing the sets with Continues, and I I've talked to them quite a bit about their production techniques and the process and how long it takes them to shoot and such. How about you guys? What is your workflow like when you're on the set? You know, how many days do you guys shoot? How, how does a day go? And what is your crew like? Well, one thing, uh, you know, I know from, from, from talking with the Farragut folks, uh, you know, and this, is a, this will be my return to Farragut after mm-hmm. uh, quite a few years absence. So uh, I can tell you that... Um, well, you were lost in the mirror universe, right? That's why you came uh, back with the story. <laughs> No, I was uh, I was lost <laughs> temporarily on Star Trek Phase Two for two episodes, um, but now I'm back. Um, I would say that um, uh, one thing about about Farragut folks is uh, the atmosphere when you're at the sets, uh, the atmosphere with the people involved. Um, you know, I do a lot of films, and one thing about the the Farragut family is that's exactly what they are. They're a family. 
Farragut, even though it's a nonprofit production, uh, people are doing out of their own pocket and the goodest of their hearts. You get two squares a day when you're on their set. You know, now you might be working, you know, pretty long hours. I know their last two episodes, they probably put in, you know, uh, eight to 10 hour acting days, which is, which is a lot. And I know with the crossing, we're going to probably be looking at 12 hour days, but um, we, we, we pretty much in the past, what I've seen with them is, you know, they shoot straight through, they get, they get the episode out, they get it done. Um, we're going to be down there for 10 days. We're going to be filming for 10 days nonstop. And um, we will have it all in the can by the time we leave. So we work hard, but at the same time, the atmosphere with them is uh, is friendly. It's enjoyable. It's not argumentative. Uh, I think a big part of that comes from the fact that they're so prepared uh, when we get on set with them because they have the standing sets and the preparation that they've done with them. Everything's lit. It's ready to go. We're ready to rock and roll. You're not waiting for something to be put up. You're not waiting for something to be taken down. You're not waiting for a light to move. That takes a lot of pressure off of everybody. So um, I'm looking forward to re-experiencing it on these new sets. It, it's very exciting to me. So to me, it's almost like a brand new adventure as well. Well, speaking of that, so apart from writing the screenplay for The Crossing, you're going to be returning as Security yes. Officer Prescott. I am. So um, give us a little Prescott here. Tell us what Prescott is going to be. What What is Mirror Prescott like? Well, I don't want to say anything about Mirror Prescott, but I will tell you about <laughs> Prescott. Um, for people who haven't watched Farragut yet, um, I, when I created the character when we started Farragut, um, I wanted to pl- uh, to show something different um, that you hadn't seen in Star Trek. Um, Henry Francis Prescott III is a by-the-book U.S. Marine uh, for all intents and purposes. He thinks the regulation manual is casual reading, and he likes to refer to it a lot. Um, he is known to say chapter and verse. If you ask him a question, he wears his emotions on his sleeve at the same time. He knows how to hold them in when he has to. I think the best, um, screen time Prescott had in any of the Farragut previously would probably be the two animated episodes. Uh, both of them really gave a, a chance to showcase the character. As a matter of fact, um, Orion press had a review of, um, the Farragut animated episodes, and they said that um, they wish Prescott had been like this in the live action ones. So I wasn't sure if that was a compliment or not, but um, he's 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 a tough nut to crack, and you're going to see him a little bit differently when he comes back. He's been off. Um, he left the Enterprise or left the Farragut. He got a promotion as the director of operations for security at Starfleet Command, uh, which basically means he went and took a desk job. This doesn't seem like the kind of person that should take a desk job. No, it doesn't and, sound like um, it. It's, it's impacted him. So the Prescott you're going to see in the beginning of the story is uh, a bit of a fish out of water. He's, he's back with old friends. He's back on the ship that he served on for quite some time, even before um, the current crew. And not only is he back, but somebody else has his old job. And uh, he's back visiting, if you will. And um, it's uncomfortable, and he's not sure what to do with himself. So I, I think it'll be fun for the audience that that was fans of the character that have been watching Farragut to kind of to see to him to see him come back and to see him uh, treated a little bit differently and uh, see how he reacts to it. Does he come back into himself or does he not? So I think you're going to enjoy it. When you created this character, was it always written? for you to play or was it just a character and then it just happened that you ended up playing the character? No, John and I specifically wrote this character for me to play. Okay. So what was your inspiration behind it? Do you have a background in the Marines or did you take inspiration no, from somewhere No, I have else? no military background at all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I was just, you know, in, in watching Star Trek, uh, uh, when, when, when I was with John, when he was first starting it, and then we were trying to come up with a character for me to play, um, I, I just... I started watching the show and I just tried to think of something I hadn't seen. You know, I could have like a super intelligent science officer. We've seen it. I could have a brilliant doctor. We've seen it. I could have an engineer. We've seen it. Who else haven't we seen? Oh, wait, we've seen a good helmsman. We've seen a great weapons officer. We've seen these people. And I got a little bit inspired by another fan series called uh, Starship Exeter. And one of their principal characters was the chief of security, Cuddy. And a terrific actor playing the part. And um, 
I said, what if we had chief of security being, you know, one of these main characters? And John said, yeah, I like that idea. I said, he said, well, how could we make him different? And I said, Starfleet's still military. Wouldn't it be interesting to see somebody who embraces that aspect of what Starfleet is? Um, I have met people like Prescott, um, you know, that real, you know, rigid, stiff, um, uncomfortable in friendly situations kind of a thing, but the kind of person you want watching your back, the guy that can be your best friend, but um, he's hard to go have a beer with. You know, so it, it's a, so really that's who he is. And and so we wanted to create something that was just something you hadn't seen, somebody that was new. And um, I think we did that with all the characters. But that really was my whole basis behind who uh, Henry Prescott was going to be. He reminds me a little bit of Malcolm Reed on Enterprise. What do you think about Reed? Oh, yeah, I can see that a little bit. Yeah. I can see that a little bit. He's very focused on his job. And he's uncomfortable, um, he especially that, like around that, the captain. You know, Reed, yeah. Reed, Reed on, on Enterprise, that, that was it. The great thing about that character is this was a guy whose sole focus was, this is my job. Mm-hmm. I love my job. Everything I do is my job. They brought those Makos on board. That just drove him <laughs> crazy. It's like, you're interfering with how I do it. Right. This is my way. This is it. And I'm following this set of rules. So, yeah, I think there's, a, there's definitely a similarity between the two characters. I think, though, you could have a beer with Reed. I don't think um, Prescott would be the funnest one to go to the nightclub with. (laughs) Very good. So let's talk a little bit more about, well, I do like to know about the crew behind here. So you wrote the screenplay. Do you have a director yet? Do you have uh, other people who are lined up for shooting? Yes, we we do. As a matter of fact, Uh, Jack Marshall, who um, co-directed the last episode, Conspiracy of Innocence, will be... Mm -hmm. uh, solo directing this episode. Um, he's a terrific, terrific guy. I met him 10 years ago um, up at Star Trek New Voyages. Um, he was directing the episode that they did, Serve All My Days, mm-hmm. with uh, Chekhov, with Walter Koenig up there. So I met him on that set, and uh, he's, he's been a very good friend, and I, I really, uh, really admire him as a professional. And um, he's one of the most organized people I've ever met. And if there's anyone who can get us to film 80 plus pages in 10 days, it's Jack Marshall. So I'm really, really happy to have him at the helm for this. He and I sat down too, and it was nice working with the director um, as well from my early draft of the screenplay uh, to sit down with Jack right in the beginning and say, you know, here's, here's what I want to do. And Jack could come back and say, you can't do this. You can't do this. And, it was getting the negatives from him that I needed to get us to the point where we had the story that we could really film. So he was very early on giving me the pointers on what, you know, that's not possible to do. And then the the few things that we had too, that I thought were impossible. One set piece in particular. um, I know there was pushback from me uh, saying, Hey, we can't do that set piece. And Jack's like, I already figured out how we can do that set piece. That's too important to the story. We're leaving it in. So, um, I'm really looking forward to having him, uh, having him direct this. And I know he's going to get a lot out of the actors. The, the acting team on Farragut has just gotten better and better and better every episode. And, uh, this episode is going to test him. Um, but I'm really thinking it's going to be exciting. Are there any key changes in casting for this episode? Any special guest stars? There's going to be several guest stars. I don't have the, the names of the, uh, actors that are going to be playing them, but we have, uh, several guest stars in this one. Uh, one of them most notably, uh, Mark Hildebrand, um, who in one of the vignettes just passing through um, for Starship Farragut played um, Captain Wilcox of the USS Potemkin, who was kind of a mentor to Jack Carter, the captain of the Farragut. Um, he also was friends with uh, both Smithfield and Tackett, uh, the science officer and the uh, chief engineer. So um, this is a character we're kind of familiar with. If you've seen the vignette, we will see uh, Captain Wilcox in this episode. So it's nice to kind of bring another character back into the story. And um, another good thing about that is Mark Hildebrand actually wrote and directed Farragut's For Want of a Nail, which once again is part of the basis for this story. Mm -hmm. So um, it's kind of bringing him back as a, is extra important for that reason as well. 
So he's one of the primary guest stars. We're also going to have a, a surprise character that I, I really don't want to say anything about because it's going to be a nice screen one, but it's someone from one of the Farragut crew's past. And um, uh, that's uh, that's as far as I can say. <laughs> oh, I get it. I know. It's it's Gertrude the Flower's cousin who yes, something lives like on that. the Farragut, yes, 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 but isn't there anymore. No, there's uh, one of the, the Farragut characters has a a very significant moment in their history, which has been referenced um, in several of the Farragut episodes. And this character um, is a reappearance of someone. And it has a huge impact on more than one person of the Farragut crew. All right. Let me ask you, while we're talking about people who work on the film here, of course, you guys have volunteers who come in and help move this along as well. If someone's listening and they want to actually volunteer and help produce this with you guys, is that something that people can do? Absolutely. Um, I know the, the folks at, uh, at Farragut are always looking for, for a new talent, uh, both in front of and uh, behind the scenes, um, and also looking for uh, those who might want to support Farragut financially um, with the current, we have the Kickstarter going for the crossing. And um, on top of that, always looking for new screenplays, always looking for new writers. Um, I've written uh, three episodes for Farragut. This actually is the crossing is my third one and definitely my my favorite. But I mean, we're always looking. They're always looking for you know more more folks to write, uh, more folks that do sets. They've got an amazing set building team. They have an amazing costuming team that John works with. He has sewing parties just to work on costumes. So always, always, always looking for uh, folks that are interested in joining you know joining the family the sets are located in st mary's georgia which is right on the florida border and um, they actually have in uh in december december 7th they're actually have an open house called farragut fest where you can come down and see the sets sit in the captain's chair and get your picture taken yeah i feel like i've covered you, you guys have done that in the past too right this is not the first year they've been doing it for the last couple of years it's, yeah, it's, and it's really it's getting bigger and bigger the community of st mary's just goes crazy for it yeah, I feel like I covered that in, in news on one of the shows maybe last year mm-hmm. when you had the open house. All right, that's great. Well, let's talk about this Kickstarter a little bit here to to wrap things up. And t- tell us about your goal is $15,000. Of yes. course, you have perks as usual on Kickstarter. And uh, if you guys get, first of all, 15000 what will that go for? And then do you have stretch goals? Are there things that will you'll be able to do if you go beyond fifteen thousand dollars well you know right now we're um just shooting for the main goal um i think if we start seeing uh, excess progress uh, john was just telling me uh, today that if we start seeing progress to a certain point we're going to start putting some stretch goals out there right now uh the fifteen thousand dollars goes in several uh several different areas um one is um, standard expenses for running the facility for, for shooting, electrical, water, um, all of those kind of things for opening up the building for the 10 days of shooting. Um, there's a lot of, because we're dealing with Mirror Universe and um, we're dealing with a lot of characters. Once again, this is very ensemble, a lot of extras, a lot of additional characters. Uh, it's a lot of costuming needs. So we have mm-hmm. a lot of costuming that's going to really coming into play for this. And, and that can get expensive. Oh, definitely. Um, so that's another one. Um, makeup, um, food. <laughs> you got to feed the cast and crew to keep things running. Um, and then, of course, we have the post-production expenses for uh, for visual effects, for music, um, uh, for sound, and all of those kind of things. So that all comes into play too. Uh, you know, fifteen thousand dollars is 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 the is the main goal we're looking at right now. And, um, but I think that, you know, uh, compared to maybe, uh, Axnar and continues, we're, we're pretty affordable. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, what continues was uh, going for like 50 or 60,000, uh, Star Trek phase two was going for like 40,000. Axnar was going for what? A million dollars. I think it is. <laughs> they have to be up to a quarter million right now. They went 80,000 and 650,000. Yeah, well, um, Axanar Prelude the the goal was ten thousand twenty, and they did made eighty. Yeah. You know, that yeah, was original amazing, yeah, wasn't was, it? Was ten actually? I, mean, I think, and the and in the film, the goal was two two hundred. I think just it was two hundred for the first one. The t- overall goal for yeah. the Axanar film, I believe, was six fifty. 
and they were going oh, yeah, to have four. The, ki- they were going right. to. They were going to have four Kickstarters. They yeah. got six fifty in the first one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know so I mean, people... so they're probably going to like expand what they're doing and you know take it to the next level. So I mean, yeah. But you know, uh, I think, like in... I said, if we start seeing that we're uh, within the next few days that we're really pushing that fifteen, we yeah, we definitely can have some stretch goals. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some more things that uh, I know Farragut would like, but. Uh, Right now, we want to make our main, our, our, the main focuses. We need 15. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the page right now as we record, and mm-hmm. this is September 17th, at least for me here in the future, in Japan, <laughs> as we record. And you guys are almost halfway there. You've got 22 yeah. days to go. So yeah. I'm pretty sure you'll hit that goal. And I think that as I've talked about on other shows, and I mean, here we're mentioning Phase 2 and Continues and Axnar and all of these, and now Farragut. Star Trek fans are just turning out to support all these projects right now because everyone wants new Star Trek. They really are, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm I'm so impressed with the fan base. You know, it just uh, they're absolutely incredible. It, it, one of the things that uh, I always enjoyed working uh, with Farragut uh, in the past, and and then you know uh, continuing that now is um, Farragut's very big about going out there and and you know meeting and greeting with the fans. They go to a lot of conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring free DVDs to hand out, you know, I mean, they, they, that, that's something that they pay out of their own pockets, but they produce some um, professionally, uh, professional quality DVDs and give them out for free at cons. Um, it helps keep down piracy uh, and people trying to sell the, <laughs> right. sell the discs too. But I mean, right. but the main thing is, you know, that's a pretty nice perk to give out. It is. And the fans have always been very, very receptive um, of, uh, of Starship Farragut. I, I think it's because, when, when you watch these guys, um, when I was with them and when, even when I wasn't, when I watch Starship Farragut, I see people who love what they're doing. I mean, it comes across. And I think fans can tell, you know. It, are we perfect all the time? No, no. But I think Farragut gets better and better and better. Uh, they started off on a, on a better foot than anybody else. And, uh, and I think uh, with the crossing, I, I think folks are going to say that God forbid we didn't do one more episode after this. This would be the way you end it. I mean, I think they could come back and say, gosh, how are you going to top that? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which is really what I'm shooting for. I, I want people to be at the end of this episode when they watch it going like, what the heck can you do next? Holy crap. And uh, that's that's it's, it's a big goal to shoot for. But this is this is the story to do it. So, but um, like I said, fifteen thousand dollars. I mean, that's not a lot of money. We're almost halfway there. We've got twenty-two days left. I think we can do it, but we need folks to come out and give us five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, twenty-five dollars. If you, if you notice when you take a look at the Kickstarter, the majority of the folks that donate are twenty dollars and under. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that just means that there's that many people who I don't have a lot in my pocket yet I still believe in this. Exactly. That makes you feel good. Yeah, it's important for people to know. Yeah, when you pledge even a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, that it really does all add up. I yeah, and I it looked... all goes right into the production. This is going to nobody's mm-hmm. pockets. One thing about Farragut is, um, and this is no offense to any other fan production that does it, please. Uh, there are very few professional actors involved, and professional actors like myself, I'm not getting a paycheck for this. Uh, nobody in Farragut's getting a paycheck. Um, you know, where you deal with some of the other fan films get a little bit bigger, you, you get to the point where, yeah, you are paying people. I'm sure Axnar is going to pay some of that talent. I mean, uh, you're not going to get, you know, Richard Hatch and those guys for free. So, you know, but you're getting a different thing with that too. It's a different kind of a production. Right. Um, but you know, Farragut, we don't have that. No one's drafting any money here. We're not bringing in, um, we're not bringing any, any, any huge name people, um, because of the cost. We want to keep the cost down. Uh, we want to keep Farragut as as the uh, the affordable option. We're the re- we're the reliable, good mileage car with a hundred thousand mile warranty. Um, <laughs> we may not be, you know, a uh, big name as flashy. Yeah, uh, we're not the Camaro, but gosh darn it, we're going to give you a heck of a ride. You're the you're the reliable one hundred thousand light year Starship with That's the extended warranty. That's right. There you warranty. go. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys put together when this comes out. I'm very confident that you're going to hit this Kickstarter goal, but everyone head over to kickstarter.com and type Farragut, F-A-R-R-A-G-U-T in to the search box. That'll come right up. And elsewhere, if people want to find out more about this, Paul, where should they go? They can go to www.starshipfarragut.com. 
and find out all the information about the show. You can download the episodes, uh, the four live action episodes, the short films, and the two animated episodes. One thing about Farragut, um, we did two animated episodes exactly in the style of filmation from the 1970s, all the oh, way really? down to the music. Did you use a um, lot of pink? Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but when you watch those, you're going to think you went back to 1972. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but you can download the episodes there. Um, DVD uh, ISO files that you can download uh, with the covers that you can print out for the DVDs cool. if you can't get to meet us out of the convention. But I would like to point out that for the folks that do go to the Kickstarter, we've got some we've got fantastic perks at just about every level. We just sold the uh, perk today for someone to get a walk-on role. And that person gets a costume that gets their costume to take home. Um, we're going to have screen used props. We've got patches. We've got um, autographed scripts. Every level has has something special that you get to take home with you to remember the production. So uh, just an extra bonus. Well, I'll tell you, I'm looking right now, $450 or more, Captain Carter's tunic. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the one that's the kind of movie. thing that like, if you just wanted to buy the tunic from Anavos or someone, it would be that much in the first place, right? Yeah, it would. And it wouldn't have the history with it that you're going to get with the one that Jack Carter was wearing in mm. the crossing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, exactly. come on, that's, that's <laughs> if you're a fan of Star Trek to get something that is screen used. And if you look at one of the other ones too, one of the other higher level perks, one of the phaser rifles that we actually, that Mike Bednar designed, we have what we call the phaser three, which is used in Farragut, which was, um, the fair, the rifles that they showed on TOS, they only used in the very early episode and they resembled the old big ray guns. Um, we wanted to create a phaser rifle for Prescott in the pilot episode um, that was more fitting as a next step beyond the hand phaser that they used. So Farragut has its own design for that weapon, and he's actually going to give away two screen-used phaser rifles, phaser three rifles that will be used in the movie. So once again, if you're a fan of Star Trek, some of these perks can be hard to resist. Definitely. So last question I have here before we wrap up, because you were talking about the animated episodes again. Are there any behind the scenes reels of animated Prescott giving you guys trouble on the set? <laughs> no, 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 I wish there was. I wish there was. Uh, that would that would that would have been pretty good. Uh, like I said, what the irony is, I think the best two stories for that character were the two animated episodes, um, Power Source and The Needs of the Many. Um, the needs of the many being my favorite of the two. Um, it kind of showcases that fair that uh, Prescott, who's so rigid, is actually pretty human, and uh, that was my favorite story he's ever been in. And uh, I think one of the things that I wanted to showcase in The Crossing is to bring that aspect to him in a live episode that I was not able to do in the live episodes beforehand. So, great. All right. Well, Paul, if people want to find you as well, are you in social media? Are you on Twitter, Facebook? I am. You can find me as Paul R. Sieber on Facebook. I'm also uh, Paul Sieber on IMDb if you'd like to check out some of my other film projects that I've worked on. I'm currently working on a film called Zcon, um, where I play Mr. Kane, otherwise known as Patient Zero. Uh, it's a zombie apocalypse at a comic book convention. Interesting. Um, so I am kind of the anti-hero, if you All will. Right. So it's a, it's a very fun film. But you can see that at zcon.com um, uh, or um, youhavebeeninfected.com. Uh, it's another place you can see it. But you take, check me out on Facebook or on IMDb. And uh, if you see me on Facebook, give me a like or follow my page. Um, you can also find out more about Starship Farragut from there as well. Cool. Very cool. All right. Well, thanks again for your time tonight, Paul. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks to all of your fans for helping to support Starship Farragut. Well, that was fun learning more about Farragut today from Paul. I hope you all enjoyed it, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. They, they look at the original series episodes and they see thematically what it is that works and they pick that in order to explore like a different side of it. Earl Grey. 
<laughs> no, do you guys seriously no. not know why they have red and green lights? No. Not all of us have read Ships of the Line. Okay, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, is this a I'm Ship of the Line? Up... I'm only on, like, chapter no, one. No, no. I'm talking about, like, real ships today. Have oh, you okay. been on a ship, Darren? The Orb. Them being adversarial, I, I don't think necessarily was the only way they could have gone. Um, it makes for a great story, but it just made me wonder, just an impossible universe, what would have happened? I think it's important, though, that she, as the religious leader, is not sold on the idea that this outsider is their emissary. To the journey! Endgame cannot make my list. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have as much hatred for Endgame as you <laughs> or apparently everybody else does. Oh, I've, not that I'm bitter or anything, no. Warp 5. So I would argue in the case of what Paxton is doing here in firing a weapon at San Francisco, which luckily missed and went into the bay, and I don't know if I guess George and Gracie aren't there, right, in the 22nd century, so they're okay, but... The ready room. They could have really diverged with what we knew of Will and made Thomas's own unique character. I mean, he is, but, like, if we can get multiple Burial episodes, why, you know, why can't Thomas Riker <laughs> have more than one episode? Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. And he happens to figure it all out. Yeah, uh, that, that's enough to drive an audience. We know we need to get Will Wheaton on the show because I will defend Wesley in this episode against the guy who played Wesley. <laughs> okay. Commentary: Trek stars. There was an interview, I think, with with JJ, where they were talking to him, and he was saying that you know, oh my my dad was friends with Nicholas Meyer back in the day. I remember going to Meyer's house when I was a kid. And he saw he had a whole bunch of really cool things in his house, and I thought I would like to break some of these. Literary treks. But I do. I like want to see cover. Spock with a perm. Oh gosh! Well, I think I've got a Photoshop try. project in my future with this cover right here. Melodic treks. It's like, oh, this wow. happened. Oh, oh, this is so good. <laughs> it was. No it was just that amazing. How she, uh, reacts. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere that you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, if you use iTunes or the Podcasts app, you can help us out by going over to iTunes and actually clicking subscribe. I say go over to iTunes. You can do it in the desktop app. You can do it in the podcast app. But if you subscribe rather than simply streaming the show... That actually helps us rise up in the search rankings, and it helps other fans of independent Star Trek productions find the show as they're searching in the iTunes store. Another way you can help us is, of course, to leave a star rating and a written review while you're there. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. That also affects how we place in search results. And if you're not an Apple user, don't worry. We're all over the place for you as well. You can find us in Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spreaker, We're all over the place. You can also, of course, stream from our website on the show page, and you can grab the RSS link there and drop that into any third-party podcast application, whether that's on iOS or Android or BlackBerry or Windows Phone or whatever. Many ways for you to get our shows. Another way that you can help us out and help us keep continuing mission coming to you regularly is to become a patron of the network. The way you do this is to go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash TrekFM. You'll find our page there. We've outlined our current goals. We've outlined milestone contribution levels, as well as all the great perks that we have for you in exchange for your support. Those perks include things like digital wallpapers, of course, but they also include things like associate producer credits on the show. So if you want to become an associate producer of Continuing Mission, you can do that. Go to the page and you can see the details of how that works. And also you can sit in on recordings of your favorite shows. We have all kinds of great perks for you there. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a lot like Kickstarter, but instead of supporting a single project, it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a month-to-month basis. So you go over and you set an amount that you would like to donate to Treka Film each month, and that will become recurring. It's a really easy way to support us on an ongoing basis, which is what we really, really need. And yet one more way that you can support us is to support our sponsor. And the sponsor for today's show is Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks that you're going to find anywhere. I love audiobooks. I love podcasts. So of course I love audiobooks. I was actually into audiobooks long before podcasts were ever around as a customer of Audible for the past 14 years. And that's what got me interested in podcasts, in fact. 
But I find that many people who don't listen to audiobooks, who like podcasts, they discover audiobooks and realize that it's a great way to read all the books you never thought you'd have time for. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. You just need to sign up for the service. You'll get that free audiobook. You'll get your credits for the first month. And if you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you'll get to keep that free audiobook. But if you're listening to this show, if you love podcasts, I really think you'll want to stick with Audible. It's a wonderful service. And by supporting them, you're supporting us. So go check them out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of Continuing Mission and the network. If you'd like to leave some feedback on today's show, I would love to hear what you think about Farragut. You can do that in a number of ways. If you go to our website at trek.fm slash contact, you'll find a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose continuing mission, and that will come to me by email. If social media is your thing, we're all over the place there too. On Twitter, our username is trekfm. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash trekfm for our main brand page. And also, we have a special discussion group there now, which is a replacement for the forums that used to be on our website. This group is called the Babel Conference, and the purpose of it is to foster meaningful and respectful discussion about Star Trek and about the things that we talk about on the shows here, but it can be also things that we haven't talked about yet on our podcasts. I hope you'll join us over there. It is a closed group because it's designed for Trek FM listeners, but if you're a listener, you're welcome to join the group. Just go over and click join, and I will let you in as soon as I see that. And remember that my day is reversed from all of you guys in the U.S. who are listening. So if you click join and it takes me six hours to let you into the group, it just means I was asleep in the middle of the night here. But I do hope that you'll join us there. We're having great conversations. I've been surprised, actually, at how quickly the group has taken off and and all the topics that we're talking about. To get there, the the URL is really long. So to get there, go to Facebook, type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search bar, or go to our website and click discussion on the menu bar. Both of those will take you right over there. So I'm looking forward to seeing you in the Babel Conference. I'd also love to talk to you myself on social media. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. And then I have my website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of different shows. I do Warp 5, The Orb, Literary Treks, Matter Stream, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel. And I also co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator and executive producer Alec Peters. So if you're looking for more Axanar talk in the realm of independent productions, that's the place to go, the official podcast. And wow, the audience for that show is exploding. So if you haven't heard it yet, you really need to check it out. Well, that's everything that we have in our show for today. Thanks once again to Paul for coming by and talking about Starship Farragut. I hope you'll all go and support the Kickstarter, help them get the crossing made. I'm looking forward to seeing that episode when it comes out. And I hope you'll join me again next time here on this continuing mission. And let's see what's out there.